Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with a very exciting guest in Liel Levy. So I first heard Liel on friend of the show, Ken Hardison's podcast. He has a book that he just published called Beyonce Habla Espanol, which I immediately picked up, loved it. And then I reached out and asked him to be on the show. And he said, he graciously accepted. <laughs> so thank you for that, Liel. And I'm super happy to have you here. Well, thank you very much, Jan. It's a pleasure being here. And I really appreciate that you read the book and found it interesting. Okay, awesome. And we got a lot to talk about, but I wanted to start out with um, something we were talking about a little bit in the lead up to this interview, which was some things that uh, I know you mentioned that you recently went to a conference and you were saw some pretty big differences as far as what people thought uh, was important when they're marketing the Hispanic market and what you know is important marketing the Hispanic market being that it's been your focus. So let's just start off with this. Like, What do you think attorneys are getting wrong with how they're approaching their marketing to the Hispanic market? I think there are several things that they're getting wrong. But one thing that really caught me by surprise when I went to the conference, you know, we prepared a presentation that it was about creating general awareness about the Hispanic market. And what I did not expect, you know, I, of course, started it with something very basic by laying out the foundation, right? The difference between Latino and Hispano. And I was really, really taken away by the amount of people that didn't necessarily know the difference between someone who is Latino and someone who is Hispano, right? Latino being someone that comes from a country that is Latin America or the Caribbean, right? But doesn't necessarily speak Spanish. This include people that are uh, Latinos, Hispanos. These include people who are uh, Afro-Latinos from indigenous backgrounds from uh, Latin countries. But the language doesn't necessarily need to be Spanish. For example, people from Brazil, they're Latinos, but they're not Hispanic because they don't speak uh, Spanish. They speak Portuguese. And Hispanos are people who come from uh, Spanish-speaking countries. And not all Hispanics are actually Latinos because you have people from Spain, for instance, who are not considered Latinos. And so that there were so many people that right after the conversation came and told me I had no idea. I had no idea. And that's kind of like the most basic thing of it all. And we're talking here about law firms that are actually engaging with the Hispanic market. These are law firms that have uh, Spanish speaking clients. And so when you look at these things, you see that you know, they're been serving the community because the community has needed their services, but they haven't done a great job in really connecting with them and understanding who they are, uh, what's their background, and what they could do to better serve them. And so it was, in a way or another, surprising to see that gap of understanding the community was there, but at the same time, it was so refreshing to see how much willingness and interest exists from the same lawyers about changing that, improving that, really filling that gap with knowledge and with a better approach towards the Hispanic community. And so I think a lot of great things are going to happen in the next coming years, and we're going to really see finally law firms up their game and start delivering a better Latinx experience in, through their law firms. Okay. That's awesome, man. A great place to start out with, because I, I was thinking this is uh, this is something there's a, a little bit of a parallel. 
I always talk about how easy it was probably, you know, let's, geez, I mean, I guess it's, uh, yours keep cranking. Let's call it like 70 years ago in like 1950s, whenever, when they had like the small town lawyer and just being the person there was the only thing you needed to be successful. And I think there's probably a lot of people and you probably, I mean, let me know if you agree with this, like that are running suboptimal Hispanic marketing strategies that are having some variety of success maybe, but it's like, you know, it's like they're driving a car with three wheels on it, right? Like they're probably coming off totally. tone deaf. Like yeah. what other consequences do you <laughs> see for when people don't have this stuff calibrated? Yeah, well, the bottom line is that right now there's a lot of law firms that are getting away with strategies, as you're saying here, that are kind of like put together in very mediocre uh, shape and way. But the bottom line is because the composition is so scarce, they can get away with it, right? There is still a market, it's growing, and people still need help. And so nobody has really pushed them to change the status quo and what I'm like, the message that I have for law firms is that the next generation of lawyers comes with a completely different mindset. And for those law firms that are established now, when they're still thinking of being around in the next 10, 15 years, if they don't change the way they are marketing right now and they start understanding that there are different subsegments within their market and, and, and address them and their cultural background they're going to lose big time because others will. And by the time they realize that they're half competition, it's going to be too late, probably. Yeah. And it gets, goes so much beyond like, you know, just Google trans, like, all right, like, I don't know, it goes oh, yeah. beyond, beyond say how Espanol, you know, cause it's, it's a thing too. And by the time it comes to, to catch up, it's like, okay, maybe you can, you know, do the quick facelift, but if it's, if it's coming off as something that doesn't really feel genuine, or, you know, you're trying to flip something that was not genuine into genuine, it's going to come off, you know, especially compared to somebody who's building this from the ground up, that's maybe starting this today. Right. But um, let's dig into that a little bit more. I know um, we just kind of went over the difference between Hispanic and Latino, but um, you actually had some really fascinating demographic information. And um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, the numbers in population growth for the market, I'd never seen that stats before. So if, for anyone who hasn't read the book, can you can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So a market is growing in leaps and bounds that are really second to known. Is the fastest growing demographic group in the United States, and that shouldn't surprise anyone. The largest minority, and just on the past ten years, the his well since the 2000 to 2020, the Hispanic market grew by 78 percent. It's so it's almost doubled in size over the past ten years. It has grown by it has represented 56 percent of the total population growth in the United States. So right now there's about 62 million Hispanics. And then if you look at what is projected by 2045, we are estimating that uh, 80% of the total population growth are going to be Latinx. So it's a numbers game, right? You just cannot go against it by ignoring the Hispanic market. You're just basically giving away market share to your competitors that are not going to ignore them. And so that's the reason why you definitely need to be on board with it. Of course, of course, inclusivity, diversity is super, super important. But even with that set aside, it is still a matter of being able to capture your whole market from a, as a business decision. Yeah, I know it's it's fantastic, dude. Just like those growth numbers blew me away. Like one of my favorite books. I don't know if you've read this one. I didn't talk about this pretty cool, but uh, the Star Principle by Richard Koch. Did you ever read that? No. 
really good book. I'd check it out, but like basically mm-hmm. I'll have it in the show notes for anyone, but um, basically he talks about, this is the, um, the Boston consulting group growth share matrix. So right. if you have a growing business in a growing segment, that's a star. If you have a growing business in a shrinking segment, which actually may by default be the situation for people that are not serving <laughs> the Hispanic <laughs> market in the future, then you know that's that's usually their cash cow. But if you have something that's dying and it's in a, a, a slowly uh, decreasing market, that's a dog. And you know, in, <laughs> according to that situation, those are usually either sold yep. up or shut down. So, but just by virtue of being in a growing market, and like I'll, I'll say it, it honestly, um, kind of speaks to the people who have been doing this half cock for the last ten or fifteen years. You know, if you don't have a good strategy, you can still win. If you have a good strategy, you can probably win pretty big, right? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. At the end of the day, if you are going to be relevant to the market, if the market is going to know you because you are going one or two extra steps, A, to meet them where they are, to make a cultural connection with them, and they can intuitively align their values to what your law firm does and represents then you're going to have a competitive advantage that none of your competitors are going to be able to have. So we want to say that it's not just about your marketing. Marketing is going to be very important, right? But at the end of the day, you're also going to have to do with what are you doing for the community. It's going to have to be with uh, how involved you are with your local community and what impact are you having in their lives. And that principle shouldn't necessarily be uh, only limited to your Hispanic market. It should be for any type of community that you're trying to have an impact on and to get clients from. You need to earn their trust at the end of the day. And so obviously marketing is a great way of... uh, promoting your message, but your best tactic is going to be getting involved with the community. Okay. Awesome. I want to circle back to this really quickly because one of the things I also thought was super impressive about your book, Liel, was the diversity of channels that you reach people towards, which I thought was awesome. But just as like a quick rapid fire for, can you throw out any examples for community engagement or giving back to the community for like firms that you've been working with that you've seen do really well for just for yeah. thought? Well, Obviously, right now, we're still kind of coming out of a pandemic and in-person interactions are somewhat limited. But one thing that we know works extremely well are going to be, particularly when we're talking about a Hispanic market and those who are uh, primarily Spanish speakers, Facebook, Instagram lives are great ways to to connect with the community, to provide information, to inform them, and to answer questions that they have, right? And this is applicable for most practice areas. It doesn't necessarily have to be specific for one or the other. I think there is a lot of ways that you can support your community by supporting organizations that are doing things to improve the quality of life of members of the community. And you can do your own initiatives, right? Whether it's you want to support a grant, whether you want to raffle bicycles for kids uh, to, to, to go to school uh, or helmets or whatever it is that you can do, it's going to be much appreciated. And, it, you know, it's just common sense to assume that people are going to have an affinity towards your business and towards your brand if they first benefited from it than if you're just trying to come off with a hard sell with a marketing message. So there's a lot of things that you can do. Of course, 
as hopefully in the next coming months or so, we're potentially going to be able to go back to more in-person events. There's many other things you can do. You can go and sponsor a little league team, right? And go to their games and take snacks and refreshments for everyone uh, attending. You can sponsor or be part of the Fiestas Patria, Cinco de Mayo, Mexican Independence Day. There's a ton of opportunities there. But most importantly, right? And this is probably the, the baseline of everything. Hire talent from the community. If you want to be relevant to the Hispanic market, then have people from the community as part of your team. And it's not just that it's going to give you an insight to the community, but it's going to help a lot with the connection once your clients are starting to come through the door. Yeah, that's super awesome. I mean, I guess the sky really is the limit. It's just kind of how creative can you get into doing it? But I think the, the major connecting factor is really how it benefits people at the end of the day too, which, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was like, yeah. the best thing is not to fake it, <laughs> but, but, you know, genuinely caring about stuff. But like, yeah. I think people can tell at the end of the day. Yeah. And I want to switch gears a little bit too. So, okay. So I loved the strategies that you guys were talking about in the book. And I wanted to kind of go into it as far as what do you think are the biggest opportunities that are, uh, you know, as far as different platforms, like if somebody's just getting their feet wet, what do you think is the best way to start marketing to the Hispanic market if they're doing it for the first time? A hundred percent Google ads, the search network. That's indisputable. It's okay. going to be the fastest way to get in front of people who need your help now, today. And the great thing about the search network is that it really works as direct response. People are searching for abogado de accidente de auto, abogado para divorcio, abogado para... Uh, bancarrota, you name it, right? And that means that they've already decided that they want to hire a lawyer. They want a lawyer that can serve them in Spanish. That's why they're searching in Spanish. And if you show up right there with a compelling message on the right position and you have a good conversion rate optimized landing page where to take uh, send your users to that is conversational and gives them the right amount of information, then you're all set. You're going to end up turning that click into a potential screening or an uh, intake opportunity and potentially a new client. So I have no doubt that it's going to be the search network, the best place to go. And I will tell you two things that are important, right? Number one, and this is uh, statistically proven through research by Google, Spanish speakers particularly are 20% more likely to interact with Google search ads than any other demographic group. And the other thing is that you will also see that most of times, not every practice area and not every single market, but most of times the cost per click is also going to be better value than that exactly same keyword. It's equivalent in English. So you're getting better value on your cost per click and higher click to rate. So okay. that's fascinating. That sounds like a one, two punch, I think. <laughs> and you know, that's awesome. And like, as far as kind of the, the, the statistics too, I was also blown away by just like the engagement. I know you, you mentioned the likelihood to increase with search ads, but I, you know, it's almost across the board that, uh, you know, Hispanic market is interacting with ads at a higher level, right? Yeah. Well, you know, here's really the reality particularly when it comes down to finding a lawyer. Latinos want to find a lawyer that they can have a personal connection with. So the digital platform is just the vehicle that's going to take them to that personal interaction. 
they're not going to keep it online permanently. They're going to prefer to have that phone conversation to be able to understand and identify, is this the right place for me? Is this the right law firm for me? And so that's why your messaging it has, has to be a very powerful one if you're going to want to base yourself on a search network strategy. Now, if you have a well-established brand within the Hispanic market, you have a very strong social media presence, things are uh, can potentially be a little bit different, then you can start leveraging more things like WhatsApp and Messenger to actually convert potential leads into clients. But when looking at a search network, they're not there wanting to read long pieces of content about your practice areas or such. They want to find the information that they need, know that they can easily identify someone that can help them, and then give an opportunity to communicate to that business and see whether they, they connect, whether they feel that they, they are being understood and it feels to them like a business that they can trust. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm kind of trying to think about this like big picture because sometimes, you know, if you have this situation, especially with somebody who's a more recent or like their family came more recently to the country, it's like, you know, they don't have uh, you know, super long time and super deep community connectors. If you're new to someplace, where else are you going to find somebody except for the internet, right? That's right. Yeah. And it's very good that you brought that up because usually Latinos would go, will follow one of these two paths. Number one, do they already know a brand that either somebody has recommended to them or that they've become familiar with because of their presence in the channels where they live? right? Whether that's TV, whether that's social media, whether that's radio, billboards, you name it, right? So if they already have a brand in mind because either it's been recommended to them or because they chose it over the years, then they'll go for that. But as you very rightly said, oftentimes they don't know or they don't have a preference for a brand. And so they go to the search network and search just like you and I search whenever we're looking for something that we don't have the answer for. And they'll pick most likely someone from the search results, from the ad section on the search results page that has a good and well-crafted message that is conversational and gives them and speaks specifically for to their intent. Right, that's awesome. And also, I think it might be um, maybe a little bit of a, of a recap from something from before too, but I, I forgot to ask this in the beginning because you know, not necessarily everyone in the Hispanic market is searching in Spanish, right? There's a couple of very distinctive groups that I think you identified in the book. And if you had a minute to talk about those, I thought that was super illustrative. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So when you're looking at Latinos in the United States, you have at least five main segments, right? Three of them are going to be most likely Spanish first. I think the one in the middle, like the third one, that would be fully bilingual, Spanish and English equally. But you have other two segments, which we call Americanizados and Nuevo Latinas, who are more likely to be English first. Americanizados because they tend to be Latinos who are U.S. born, and they are probably three or more generation Latinos in the United States, right? So they're likely to speak very, very little Spanish or no Spanish at all. And then you have uh, Nuevo Latinas who are first generation U.S. born Latinos. So parents were immigrant, but they were born in the United States and they're uh, English first Latinos, although they do tend to speak Spanish and understand it very, very well. Now, these segments, you should definitely be targeting in 
English, but at the same time, you should make it very clear to them that you are acknowledging the Latino culture, right? Because that's going to help you set yourself apart from the rest, and it's going to help you create a stronger connection with that particular market. Now, one thing to keep in mind, particularly when you're looking at Americanizados and Nuevo Latinas, is that there is right now a trend towards retroacculturation, which means that they are looking back to the roots of their family, right? Trying to find their identity within this melting pot that the U.S. uh, society is. And they're taking a very, very, very uh, strong stand and they're very proud of their Latino heritage. And so they obviously feel the same about businesses that acknowledge and respect and want to honor that cultural identity. And so whether they're speaking Spanish or English, the Latino uh, cultural element for them is going to be super important. And they're going to favor law firms that are showing um, or taking steps toward towards making their law firms more inclusive towards this demographic group. That's really interesting. And I want to ask a follow-on question as far as the ads go. So assuming we have the ability to market towards some of the the Spanish first demographics, would you recommend that somebody, you know, let's say somebody who's getting their feet in the water, they want to serve the community, but they don't necessarily have somebody in-house to do that. Are there any recommendations? Would you recommend somebody like that be running ads to the Spanish market? Or would you want to ask them to you know, have the infrastructure? Do I need somebody on intake that speaks Spanish? Do I need to be able to do a consultation in Spanish? Or are these things that people should be taking into consideration first? Or do you think people can kind of figure their way out? A hundred percent. You do. Yes. You need to have all of okay. those pieces in place. So we also don't want to discourage law firms and say, oh my God, if my entire team is not bilingual, I'm not going to stand a chance. Or if I'm the, the, the lawyer, don't speak Spanish, how am I going to be able to be relevant to the uh, Spanish-speaking community? Not at all. It, it, it really is not as important as people think. However, what will be important is for your law firm to be able to deliver a Latinx client experience. And that means that when somebody who is a Spanish speaker is getting in touch with your law firm, you can deliver an outstanding experience to them in the language of their choice. So yes, you need to have someone that can uh, answer the phone in Spanish to them. And if at some point they're going to have to meet to come to the law firm and meet with uh, the team, then there is going to need to be someone in the room that can facilitate communications between the Spanish-speaking person and the rest of the room that may not necessarily speak Spanish. But that's perfectly fine. Not every single person in the room needs to be a Spanish speaker, right? If you're going to present documentation, I would 100% recommend you to take steps towards translating it in Spanish because nobody wants to be asked to sign their name. <laughs> yeah. understand, right? And it just doesn't, just think about it. But it's, I know it sounds funny, but it's just really, really common sense. And, yeah. and, and oftentimes law firms don't think about it because they don't see it as rare. Well, I'm just asking you to sign my contract. And, you know, we're in the United States and it's in English, so you should be fine with it. But at the end of the day, not really because they cannot understand. So those things are going to be important. And I do recommend for you to think about how can you deliver that experience before you actually start investing in marketing. Now, you don't need to have it all 100% figured out. Of course, you can learn and make adjustments as you go along. 
but at least you'd want to have the intake part of things sorted by the time your phone starts ringing with potential Spanish speaking leads. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm thinking about some of the solo, uh, you know, solo practitioners that like, you know, I've, I've, I've met from the podcast and stuff like that. And they're like, Oh darn, you know, like this sounds great, but I don't know if I can, <laughs> it'll take me years to learn Spanish, but if there's someone on the team, I hadn't even thought of that because my mind immediately went to non-attorney salespeople. You know, if you get the situation where you have somebody who's on the team that doesn't necessarily have to be, it doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be a part. It doesn't have to pass the bar but they can hold a consultation to get the most important stuff for that person's case in the place, then you know, that's, that's another option too. But yeah. yeah. Totally. And I guess it doesn't even, doesn't, sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. It doesn't even have to be a paralegal. That's another thing, right? I mean, you, it doesn't, it's not a matter of having the most skilled person at the law firm speaking Spanish. You can have an entry-level uh, team member that is your Spanish speaking uh, colleague and at, at the end of the day, right, it's an intermediate. They're communicating, they're helping communicate the client to the legal team and the legal team towards the client. So there is a lot of ways that this can be sorted. You know, just to throw out there another idea, not necessarily um, our recommendation. As we said, we like to see law firms hiring uh, people from their community that are Spanish speakers, but you have call centers that can also be a solution in order to help you with your intake in Spanish uh, and potentially help you sign the retainer. But again, they all depend from practice area to practice area. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean that, that makes it seem a lot more achievable at the end of the day too, because it's like, you know, there's a lot of complexity to this issue. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's a challenge, but I mean, that's the thing too, like any challenge, it's like the more complicated it is to solve then the harder it is to solve. And that means it's more of an advantage when you, you get it figured out and you're really investing in it. Um, okay. Totally. I want to switch gears a little bit to some other traffic networks. So I saw in your book for the first time in a long time, because I know this is a particularly challenging traffic source to master, but um, you had one of the best sections on Google display advertising that I've seen in a really, really long time. So can you tell us how that's been working for you guys recently? Yeah, well, I thank you for bringing it up because I think display network is uh, very underrated. And particularly now that uh, display allows you to run really cool ads, dynamic ads, video ads. And so it's it has become a more robust platform. With that aside, you can also collect leads now from display, which is lead forms from display, which uh, makes the platform even more versatile, I would say. But we think law firms should leverage the opportunities that display gives you, A, with retargeting. And again, depending on your practice area, this is something that Google may or may not allow you to do. You can try, right? The other thing that you can do there is to... Use display to target user based on uh, search behavior, right? Target users that potentially, you know, going back to personal injury, if you've been involved in a car accident and you're injured, where chances are that you had to go to uh, an emergency room or to chiropractor. Right. Yeah. Uh, And so you can actually target people who have used Google Maps or have used Google to search for these type of businesses, right? And then you can serve them your ad as they're surfing the internet, because as you know very well, the display network has more than 2 million sites, which really covers most of the news and lifestyle and travel sites that most of people use. And so it's a really, really great way to kind of add leads to the top of your funnel and potentially through other ads and through presence in other 
channels such as other social media and potentially also the search network drive them to conversion but if they do have the need of the services that you're offering and it's so affordable right it's so not expensive that it's a great way to supplement your strategy can it yield results as a standalone maybe a long shot and you're potentially going to have to invest more than most people would be comfortable putting on a platform like display but it can 100% help you leverage particularly your search network strategy that is anyway already driving traffic to your landing page or site. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like, and you know, we, we were talking a little bit on the pre-chat about kind of like being, being old heads as far as the Google world, but like, I remember back in the day, like display network was the domain of the brands that had so much to spend. It's like, don't even worry about it if you have less than 10 mm-hmm. gated about, but now it's like the platform's gotten better. I think the tools are better. And the automation has been leaps and bounds in on the whole Google ads platform. So it's like, I feel like if, if you've tried it before and you've written it off, or I feel like it hasn't caught up with the zeitgeist yet though. Yeah. And you see, I think, you know, most of times it may be also a matter of the creative, a matter of uh, the messaging and uh, the targeting. U- ultimately, uh, who are you targeting with your display ads? So it does require some 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 technical work and a little bit, you know, a little bit of preparation in setting up your campaign, but it can really be a good supplement to your search network campaign. Okay, super cool. And then um kind of last thing to talk about, like let's talk about video and social for a while. I, I know um, you know, you mentioned that the uh video lives are a great idea. And like I was also just wondering as far as um how do you see a social strategy um change when we're talking about the Hispanic market versus what most people are doing just in the market as a general? Like particularly Facebook and Instagram, super essential to building your brand as a law firm if you want to be relevant to the Hispanic market. The bottom line is that when you're advertising in social media, you are there primarily for two purposes. One, to entertain because social media, it's an entertainment platform is where people go to be social and to have a good time primarily, right? And the second one would be to educate them, inform them about why they may one day need your services. But you definitely want to do this in a very engaging and out-of-the-box way because nobody wants to be pitched, now leave alone being pitched on a social media platform. So you want to find ways to create content that's going to be engaging, interesting, and that is going to trigger your audience to want to respond and to react to it. Because at the end of the day, creating content on social media that doesn't get any interaction is useless. And definitely, definitely, you need to invest on your social media presence as in running it as campaigns, as ads. Mm -hmm. Like the dream of being able to have reach organically has died long time ago. Anyone who's uh, hoping to get some organic traction on social is really not being realistic, particularly as a business. And so you should definitely leverage as a brand building platform is very, very powerful. And you're going to be very likely to find their potential clients if you have a constant presence there, 100%. Yeah. And one of the things I like about your strategy too, Liel, is just like, you know, 
when you think about this, and, and I don't want to overwhelm anyone who's listening to it. And I also want to point out too, that you very, very, I, I really like the fact that you have a distinct order of operations. Like I like to say, like search first display is probably not going to carry it on its own, but you can add that in and then social as well. But when people get these things, you know, all kind of linked together, if somebody does have the ability to go in that direction, the, the effect can be fantastic because all of a sudden you get this stereo sound sort of effect where it's like, okay, they, you know, they search, they see your name. Maybe they saw you on a social media post. Maybe they saw your retargeting banner when they were reading CNN or Fox.com or whatever it happens to be. And then you just seem to be the guy, you know, combine that with good messaging. Cause if the messaging is bad, you're just going to be making people mad faster. Which on the other of the day, remember making people mad on social media, it's not a terrible thing because it's still <laughs> engagement. It's true. It's still engagement. It still gets you light, uh, eyeballs. So you probably just don't want to overdo it. And you want to have a ratio where most of the people are happy with your content, but don't get intimidated or discouraged if you're getting also some moderate hate, because at the end of the day, that fuels your content. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, who's the guy who said uh, all press is good press? Yeah, yeah. It is. true. <laughs> Excellent. But definitely social media, it's a place to be, particularly if you want to build your brand. Now, what I do want to say, going back to what you were saying about being in multiple channels, it is super important that uh, your search network needs to be the foundation of everything. It all comes down to the search network at the end of the day, because even people that are getting to know your brand through social media, be that uh, Facebook or YouTube or Instagram, or maybe even TikTok or Snapchat, when they're potentially going to need you as a lawyer, there is a chance that they'll use the platform where they found you to convert. That could be potentially Facebook. But there is also a chance that they may not automatically connect the dots in their mind and think about you when they're actually in need of your services, because it maybe doesn't come to them so intuitively. But when they go to the search network and search exactly for what you do, and then you showed up, they see your name, they recognize your brand, rest assured they're going to click on you because you're familiar to them. They know who you are. They've seen you before. And so that's why the search presence is also going to be super important. And you need to be aware that you, you cannot just be found by brand name, you need to also be found by what you do, because that's a way in which many of the people that are already familiar with your brand are potentially going to get back to you. Yeah. And I want to say too, like the counterpoint to that too, is like, you know, what a shame, and especially for these kind of longer sales cycle practice areas of law, like, you know, the situation with sometimes family law can take a long time until somebody makes a decision. State yeah. planning, which we do a lot, it's the same thing. If you're going through all the effort of educating somebody and you're not able to close the gap, that's that's a marketing tragedy. <laughs> so you yeah. just paid to educate somebody else's client, right? You know, not to say this stuff doesn't need to be done by anyone in, in, in the market, but, you know, I'd rather for the most part, the people doing the effort are getting rewarded for it, right? So, Liel, it's been a fantastic conversation and I want to be respectful of your time. But, um, you know, for anyone who's been enjoying this and wants to learn a little bit more, what's the best way to get in touch? Well, First of all, if you've been enjoying this, I would 100% recommend you to pick up the book. It's available in Amazon and you can download it as an ebook or get a paperback or a hardcover, whatever you prefer, and just learn a little bit more. There's guarantee something new that you're going to learn there about two different topics. A, about your Hispanic market. You're going to learn how to better segment the market, and that's going to 
completely change the way in which you see your Latinx community. The second part is that you're probably also going to learn quite a bit about making good decisions about digital marketing. And so I think there is a lot to win there by just spending a few dollars and a few hours to read a book. Now, if they want to learn more, a little bit more about the work that we do at our agency, they can always visit nanatomedia.com. And you can also connect with me in LinkedIn. And if you have any questions about his, uh, Spanish marketing or whatever else, feel free to reach out to me uh, in whichever platform you prefer. And I'll be more than happy to get back to you with answers. All right. That's fantastic. And for everyone, we'll have the links to that stuff in the show notes. But um, Liel, it has been a fantastic. Uh, thank you for being so generous with your time and knowledge. And for everybody else, I will see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.